Hello and welcome to the official Building Your Business podcast series presented by Archer Gallon Redshaw Chartered Accountants. Our firm has launched this podcast series to help simplify some of the complex challenges that occur when owning and operating a business and to assist business owners to better understand the inner workings of their organisation, regardless of which industry you operate within. Every month, we'll be releasing a new episode featuring special guests from industry, as well as Archie Gallen Redshaw directors Ian Walker, Smiljan Jankovic, and Valda Glynn, to provide their commentary on a variety of business management topics, alongside expertise surrounding accounting, taxation, and business strategy. Welcome to our podcast series, Building Your Business. Hello and welcome. My name is Chris Lewis, and you're listening to the Building Your Business, the official podcast uh, series presented by Archie Gallen Redshaw Chartered Accountants. Uh, welcome to part two of our estate planning mini series, uh, where I'm joined by very special guest Ann Jansen, founder and special counsel of Estate First Lawyers, alongside Archie Gallen Redshaw directors Ian Walker and Valda Glenn. For our first episode, we covered estate planning from a fundamental and foundations perspective. Um, and as we alluded to at the end of that episode, uh, this one is actually going to cover blended families. So uh, welcome Anne, Ian and Bella. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. For those listening for the first time, uh, as some background, Anne is the founder and special counsel of Estate First Lawyers, a leading estate planning expert based in Brisbane and providing estate planning services Australia-wide. Anne has over 20 years experience in estate planning law and is a Queensland Law Society accredited specialist in succession law. Uh, she is noted for delivering innovative solutions to blended families and strategies to prevent inheritances going L-shaped. So, as I say, for this particular episode we're going to be covering um, blended families specifically. Estate claims raising from a blended family situation is one of the most litigated areas of estate law and, and very expensive. Uh, so why is this uh, so important? You know, what's the need there for blended families specifically to be looking at it? That's a very good question, Chris, and uh, I'm really glad that uh, uh, Archer Gal and Redshaw decided to do a podcast solely for the blended family issues in estate planning because if you're a blended family um, you know I, I think you'll get a lot out of this session blended families um, let's just define what that means just quickly so it's like your Brady Bunch kind of situation which I know because I watched the Brady Bunch in the 70s I'm just saying not the reruns in the 90s <laughs> but um, so we have you know um, a second spouse Second partner, doesn't have to be married, can be de facto. If a de facto is, um, uh, you have a de facto of two years or more and you pass away with that relationship intact, then the de facto has the same rights as a married spouse. So just keep that one in mind. Now, so you, you're onto a second or subsequent relationship and you and your partner have children of a previous relationship. You may also have children of your union, but you have children, one or both of you have children of a previous relationship, and that's what we call a blended family. Now, estate law gives rights to, particularly to um, spouses, i.e. the spouse you, you, when, when you die that you have, and children of any relationship that you've had, rights to make an estate claim. If you haven't adequately provided for them in your will 
And that's where the issues arise because you might give everything to your spouse and then your adult children from previous relationships um, make an estate claim after you die for a piece of that pie. Or you have decided you want to give everything to your children but not to your second spouse. And your second spouse sues after you die, sues your estate and wants a piece of your wealth. Now, um, these claims are by and large succeeding in the courts. And a lot of the time, the costs of those claims come out of your estate. Now, the estate costs are a real issue in this area because they're so high. And the courts are concerned about it. They put in place certain procedures. You have to go to mediation first. But if you won't, if the, the parties won't settle, um, then it goes to court. And if it goes to court, you're not going to get a lot of change out of $500,000 on both sides. Um, it's very expensive in this area. It's, it's equivalent to an acrimonious family law dispute. So we want to avoid those at all costs because not only are they very expensive, but um, they also fracture relationships for generations. So this is an area that um, is very, very important to get right. And if you do get it right, you will avoid a claim, you'll avoid those costs for the family in years tied up in, in mediations and, and, and litigation. And you'll hopefully at least keep um, happy relations or, or comfortable relations with everybody. It's, it's a very important area. And just quickly, is there any difference with blended families in the courts and, and how you write a, an estate plan where the former children are adult and perhaps the current relationship has school-aged children? Yeah, so what the, Ian, what the, the court will do or what the mediation will do is everybody, all of those people you just mentioned, adult children, minor children, spouse, they all have a claim. They, they all still have a claim, but where there's strong competing claims and a spouse and minor children have usually a stronger claim than adult children. Of course, if an adult child is disabled, you know, uh, cognitively impaired, you know, they'll have a stronger claim. So they take into account a lot of factors. I mean, if an adult child has an addiction, they have a need, so it's based on need, right? So, so you'd be surprised it's, it's not necessarily based on behaviour, it's based on need. And um, adult children can have need just like minor children, although, you know, they would have to justify that. So then you could have a whole pot of people all making a claim. Yeah, and as you know, I mentioned in the last uh, podcast we had, I do have a blended family. And, you know, it's really important for me to, and my spouse, to understand what exactly is an estate claim? What can go wrong uh, when a husband or wife of a blended family dies? What strategies can we put in place? Mm. Um, look, that's that's the the really important question that we discuss with clients when we see them. Um, firstly, we want to know what they want to achieve. Then we start to look at the kind of claims that could be made, and based on the cases that have gone by. Um, what likely possible percentage that that claimant could get. So the first 
The first and, and maybe um, most obvious way is to go, can you see fit to spread the wealth a little bit? Can you perhaps give a specific gift to your adult children and still adequately provide for your new spouse? You know. And we, in the first episode, we discussed that there were five different um, sources of um, money or five buckets that your money can, uh, can sit in, mm. and some of those will actually be protected from estate um, claims. Could you just run through those five buckets for our audience in case I missed the first episode? Yes. So the next strategy is to go, well, I don't have enough, for example, um, to provide for my spouse and I want all my money to go to my spouse let's say and then we'll say well okay so then the strategy becomes an estate claim can only be made out of the estate bucket now so in our first podcast just to revise we have five wealth buckets the first wealth bucket is assets that you hold in your own name uh, or property, as in house and land property, that you hold as tenants in common. Your share, right, is an estate asset and is governed by your will. The second bucket is assets you jointly hold, like a joint tenancy property or joint cash at bank. That does not fall into your will. It is not an estate asset and therefore it is not up for grabs in an estate claim. So that bucket is a good bucket. If you're wanting stuff to get to your spouse, holding things jointly is a good idea. Then you've got the next wealth bucket. The third one is your superannuation. If you put the right documents in place, you can direct that superannuation direct to the person you want to benefit and avoid the estate bucket, that first bucket we talked about. Now, you can only do a nomination to a superannuation dependent. And there's a list of those, but spouses and children are two of the most common categories for that. If you have assets in a family trust, that's your fourth wealth bucket. They do not form part of your will. They are not part of bucket number one, which is your estate bucket. And so if you want to pass control of your family trust to somebody, it will not be available for attack in an estate claim. And the fifth bucket is your insurance held outside of super. So you'd want to put a nomination in place over that insurance um, that goes to the person you want it to, because again, it will not be available for attack in an estate claim. That's great. Thanks for revising that, Anne. And I'm just sort of um, thinking about uh, what are particular strategies that we could put in place. Um, you've set up for me and my spouse, a mutual will deed. Just talk a little bit about that and let us know how that actually protects my estate. Mm, okay, so we have a number of strategies that we can put in place for blended families and we probably won't put in every single strategy that we have in our toolkit, but there'll be some of the strategies you like uh, and some you don't like. Um, some that will work better for your particular situation and some that don't. So already just to recap, we've gone, well, you can always um, feed all the chickens, like, you know, Joe wants said, you feed the chooks. You give everyone a piece of the pie. Or if you want to give the whole pie to someone, um, 
then you have to start looking at your buckets and make sure that the bucket where they can claim from is going to be small. And then another strategy is to start to look at inheritance agreements. And inheritance agreements are agreements between two spouses where they start to agree on how ultimately when the last of them pass away, um, how what's left in the estate is going to be distributed and to whom. Now this is a strategy that's particularly um, popular with blended families because often what they want to do is leave everything to each other, particularly where there's not you know, a lot of money where they can feed all the chooks, okay, where they can give stuff to their adult children and, and to their spouse. So they might enter into agreement saying, look, I'm leaving everything to you, uh, but if I die first, I want you to leave a certain percentage of your wealth when you die last um, back to my children. And then it'll go vice versa as well. That that's basically falls under the cover of an inheritance agreement. Uh, and those agreements can be can have whatever you like in them, but the, the main gist of them is that you're entrusting certain assets to your second spouse and you don't want him or her to change his mind after you die and leave everything to the new partner or to his own children and exclude yours. And so you're getting him to agree to leave a certain amount back to your kids when he dies last. How exactly is that done? I mean, you, you, you've passed away. Um, you you can't, can no longer influence any decisions that um, your partner might make. So how does the mutual wills deed actually work to protect what I want to go to my um, beneficiaries? Well, it is a legal agreement. And so it um, hovers over the estate of the surviving spouse. Um, and it forms what we call um, an equitable debt that's not owing until the surviving spouse passes away. And at that time, it crystallises over whatever's left in the estate at that time and is paid out first before anything else. So, so it's quite effective and you can also put provisions in it of just how much can and cannot be transferred by the surviving spouse to another entity or to another person while they're still living to thwart the deed as well. Okay, so, so it's an equitable principle and the inheritance agreement or we call our particular one a mutual wills deed um, is very effective especially when it's in combination with other strategies as well. So you have one strand in your rope, you've got sort of a bit of strength happening. But if you have two or three strands of rope's way more stronger than even just the, the three strands separately. Okay. So when you're building a blended family strategy, you have to use a number of strands in the rope to get a very strong plan happening so that you can avoid being one of the cases that I see you know, every day, you know, come across my desk. And there is a way, though, that you, your beneficiaries could actually change their minds about what they might inherit after I pass away, and they could actually make an agreement with my spouse after I die to actually change that so that it's not set in stone? Yes. If, if see, you can put um, whatever you want in your inheritance agreement, 
that suits you. And one of the things we put in our inheritance agreements is that, you know, if, say, for instance, Valda, your husband was moving forward and, you know, after you pass away first, then um, your children and he could come to an agreement on changing what the inheritance they're left in that agreement is. But that has to be put in the agreement. Um, and that, the quality of that agreement really depends on the quality of the specialist you use. And I wouldn't be doing a mutual wills contract without a specialist estate planning lawyer. Um, uh, I, I absolutely wouldn't. Uh, because all the right indicia have to be in there for that surviving spouse and then for your children at the end of the day. That's great. Thank you, Anne. Um, now, is there any other ways that we can actually stop any other attacks on the estate? You cannot um, stop an attack. Even a mutual wills um, deed, an agreement, um, can be attacked. Um, the thing is that you've put up defences. It's that rope um, principle. So, you know, um, the courts don't like um, unpicking um, a couple's agreement. So someone who wants to make a claim, you know, you're unpicking someone's agreement. And, and there's no agreement, by the way, like if you both do wills and they might, what we sometimes call mirror wills, you know, a husband and wife do wills that look identical. That's just a mirror will, but after, you know, after my husband dies, I can change my will every day for, for the next 20 years if I want to. I'm not bound to stay with that will. I can change it and leave it to my new husband or whatever. So it's always important to understand that, that I can change my will at any time unless I'm somehow in a, an inheritance agreement that curtails that. So that's an important point. But the best ways to stop an estate claim are a multi-strand approach. Uh, give something to everybody if you can afford it. Do that. Um, I don't like the idea of cutting a child entirely out. When you give someone zero, you're saying you're sending them a clear message that they're a zero in your life, and and that just kicks the sleeping dog. Um, so I'm not a fan of that strategy. Although some of my colleagues will say that's the way to go. Um, you know, it depends whether you want to scrap or not. Um, that's one way to start one. Uh, <laughs> but um, you know, try and and give everyone something. If, if you can bear it. Um, if you can't bear that, then start to minimise what's in your estate bucket. Um, and we can give you all the strategies for that. Consider a inheritance agreement or mutual wills deed uh, to see if it suits you and how that would look in your situation. But you cannot contract out of an estate claim. That's just something important to know. You know, it is a right that all eligible claimants have you can't get out of it, you can just prevent it practically from happening if you've got the right estate planning in place. If you, uh, if after one spouse was to die, you, you talked about the different buckets and you've got the estate bucket, but there's, particularly looking at the family trust bucket, mm -hmm. if um, the surviving spouse was to move assets into a family trust after you've passed, it does technically, from your description before, come out of the estate bucket. Is there anything that can be done then by the, uh, the original beneficiaries to actually be able to get hold of that money that's been moved into a different bucket? Mm. So, a nice one. Okay, so let's say I am married and I'm in a blended family situation 
and my second husband and I have um, you know left everything to each other and then we have left it 50-50 to my child and his child when you know one of us dies last and um, my husband dies and I live on and I've inherited all of his money okay there's no inheritance agreement right no inheritance agreement uh, so I can change my will and I can leave it all to my child now but that's not going to stop his child my stepchild bringing an estate claim because stepchildren can um, when I die so and that stepchild given that I inherited from his dad he's going to have a pretty good claim so what I will do, I'll be clever and I will go off to my accountants and I will say I want to set up a family trust and I want to move all of my investment properties into that family trust. Yes, I realise the capital gains tax and the stamp duty and so on. But I know once they're in that family trust that my ex-husband's son will not be able to touch them and, and he won't. He can't. And there it is. So that's a, that it would be a strategy. Correct. Uh, could thwart it. Now, if there was a mutual will deed, could it be protected in that situation? It depends on the quality of that deed and what's in there about being able to transfer assets into other entities or not. Our agreement does cover it. Of course, we have to be careful that we don't overly restrict a surviving spouse. But, you know, clear abuses like that um, are covered. Yes. And, I mean, it would... I suppose, would there be any way for those original beneficiaries to be able to make any sort of a claim against those trust assets? Or is it simply perhaps they won't be aware of it because once it's been moved out of a person's name into their trust bucket, that perhaps it's not traceable? If there was an inheritance agreement, they could have a claim and they okay. wouldn't have to wait until death either. Right. Right? Um, so that's a bonus, but they have to be aware that there is an inheritance agreement um, and that's why I always say to blended families, you should make, you don't have to make your kids aware of the contents, but you should make make them aware of the existence yes, of it. I mean, and it's held with the state first. And if there's any, you know, death in the family or shenanigans going on, then maybe you want to give us a call. I know when you were doing my estate plan, you actually provided documents that my sons had signed mm. um, in relation to that mutual wills deed. So they are aware of it, mm. and that is what you would actually recommend happen. Yeah. Yeah, because if what you don't know, you, you can't do anything about. Right. You know, ignorance is not bliss. <laughs> so, and just touching on some of these um, examples that you've talked about in the last few minutes, with adult children on both sides, not let's not pick just one, but just as an example, an adult child from a previous relationship, say there's a couple in, in it and, and they're both married. And one of them is blissfully married, the other one, you know, on and off, on and off, in and out, all that sort of stuff. How can we plan, or how can the, the, the new spouse plan together to, to avoid the case of a claim from that adult child that basically is run by the spouse? So, um, you know, what you're asking is the adult child of one party brings a claim um, against your estate when you die, um, um, fighting for some of the assets of the second spouse, the, the, the mother and um, stepmother. Correct, and, yeah. and it's mainly driven by the spouse of that, that adult child because once that's settled, and mm. then they split. Well, this is a thing, you know, you just don't, this is exactly right. So you've hit on something 
that I see quite a bit, and that is that um, the adult children are quite happy for stepmom to have the assets. It's a, it's a good blended family. Everyone gets on well. You know, uh, it's quite transparent. And at the end of the day, the stepchildren and the natural children of the last spouse to die are going to get a fair chop of it. Uh, but then you've got something like a spouse chewing in someone's ear and, um, and sort of goading them on to be more litigious and, un and, and not trust what is going to ultimately happen. So I'll have clients come to me and go, everyone gets on really well. You know, and I go, yeah, because you're alive and you're the glue in this relationship, but you take that glue out, it's like taking the sun out and then the planets, what are they revolving around now? Um, you know, so, so you just got to be aware, and it might be fine, but don't underestimate your, your influence in the family and how you keep everything together. And if you're not there, things can tend to fall apart um, and rearrange. The planets realign, I call it. Um, and I try and show a picture to the clients because I've seen the picture many times. Of course, they can't see it. I can't, I, I don't want to take my mind there with my own family, you know, but I have to take, we have to, as a team, a number of state planning was, we as a team have to take them there so they can then see the risk and, and just cover off on that. Not sure if I answered your question, Ian. <laughs> um, <laughs> Started well, talking about it, the planets, it, didn't <laughs> Well, it all evolves around the sun, as we know. But, um, <laughs> In, in some cases, that's what we've seen from, from clients. They say, you know, we just want to make sure that what goes when we give some of the pie to everyone, as you've mentioned before, well, we're not 100% sure as if we don't want as much going to previous child X or child of the previous relationship X because mm. we know that that's not going to survive that relationship. Mm. So we don't want to then provide for a bad relationship to break up and therefore our assets disperse to that spouse as well but I testamentary your... trust will help with yes. that putting okay. it in a testamentary trust for that adult child mm -hmm. if they're worried that the child's relationship is rocky it's going to help to put it in a testamentary trust mm -hmm. um, but can we sort of um, uh, minimize the risk of family relationships and and the interplay of that with claims yes we can and we use those strategies um, to do it I think that the main takeaway for this podcast for blended families is that just be aware that there's additional risks in, in a one family unit. It's, I cannot remember the last case where a child, an adult child sued their own mother because the husband left, their father left everything to their mum. You know, that, that's extremely rare, but there's plenty of cases where your stepchildren will claim um, against your estate because it's a different relationship and yet they have the same standing as your adult child. Um, just be aware that estate law um, poses risks for you in a blended family, um, that you can do a lot to minimise the risk of that, but it's got to be done cleverly and it's got to be done thoroughly and you need a full conversation. There are times when I have spent three hours with a blended family talking um, you know, and we've come to a solution and people have said to me or, or to, you know, my, my other estate planning lawyers that, you know, we all specialise in this area. I, it was going round and round in my head for years. I couldn't work out the solution. But now I have a solution and this is really good. And um, certainly it's given me great peace of mind to know that I actually do have that mutual will stand in place. I know that um, if I do pass first that my children are still going to be looked after. 
Mm. Yeah, that's good to know. Terrific. Well, no, that was a, a really interesting discussion there. I mean, obviously, specifically around um, you know what uh, comes into play with blended families and, and what needs to happen moving forward, and obviously depending on relationships and things like that as well. So, I guess for those out there, again, you know, who maybe looking at um, this particular situation and considering their requirements at, at the moment, again, how would they get in contact with you and to sort of uh, obviously express that interest? Well, we have um, six very experienced estate planning lawyers um, uh, on the team. Uh, it's all they do. They're career dedicated lawyers. And of course, Blended Family Solutions are one of uh, the firm's um, special areas of expertise. The best thing to do is to go to jump onto our website, which is estatefirst.com.au, or give us a, a, a buzz during working hours, um, 1300 132 567, and have a chat to us. Um, and, and I would suggest that if you, you, that you'd come in for an appointment, even if you think you got your stuff done properly, we can always have a look at it, that first consultation, and see if there are any gaps that need to just be strengthened up. Well, as this is the, the second uh, episode of our uh, three-part series, I encourage you to uh, those listening to, to those to tune in to our next episode, uh, which is going to be specifically on estate planning for, for business structures. So keep an eye out for, for that over the coming periods. We look to release that. But uh, again, we'd like to say uh, thank you to, to Valda and Ian for, for joining us, but uh, a very special thank you to Anne um, for providing her expertise uh, in this second uh, part as well. Thank you for having me. For business owners seeking accounting, taxation, business advisory and superannuation support and assistance, please feel free to get in contact with the advisor team at Archer Gallon Redshaw. Led by Ian Walker, Smiljan Jankovic and Valda Glynn, our firm are a Brisbane CBD-based accounting practice supporting businesses across a variety of industries throughout southeast Queensland and nationally. You can get in contact with our team via the website www.agredshaw.com.au via email at info at agredshaw.com.au or contacting 073002 2699.